hello everybody and welcome to um, this session on anger and anger management. I'm Sarah Allen, I'm family support worker, one of the family support workers um, in the Embrace team at Elcolette and if life was normal we would be running um, face-to-face -face parenting groups and uh, support groups and teaching groups and we'd also be working one-to-one -one with families in their homes. Obviously things are a little bit different at the moment and so we've decided to put on um, some sessions online and today's is about anger and how you can manage anger um, it's done from the point of view of managing anger yourself. So if teenagers are, want to watch this themselves and hopefully pick up some information, then they can do. And we also talk about how you can help your teenager and how you can help your primary school child with anger. For most of the session, um, you, you'll be looking at a PowerPoint presentation with my voice over it. Um, and we'll talk that through. Hopefully you'll find this session helpful. Some of it you will already know, um, but it gives us a bit of an opportunity to think a bit more in depth about anger. What is anger? What causes some people to get angry more than others? And how we can try and manage that anger in a, in a healthy way. So let's start by starting off with the presentation looking at what is anger and um, I'll come back to you at a few points to just discuss things further. Here we've got our first slide with what is anger and I think the important thing to say is that anger is a, a very normal healthy emotion. We all get angry um, and actually Anger can be used positively. Um, if you think about sometimes politicians or it may spur you on to do things. So I think it's really important that we know and that our children know that it's very normal to get angry. We all do. And that's that's OK. Anger is usually a response to thoughts or feelings. So we may think we've been unfairly treated or disrespected. Um, and that causes that the anger to spiral. And as we say, it's normal and it's healthy. It's only really a problem when the anger gets out of control and harms you or the people around you. So we always talk about it's it's not the emotion itself that is the problem. It's what we do with it that causes the problems. So anger happens as a response to a stimulus when we feel threatened or, or disrespected and sometimes it's not obvious what that trigger is in our children so I often hear parents say you know I, they went from naught to a hundred I don't know what it was I don't know what sparked them sometimes it's obvious but when we feel threatened our body's adrenaline response is stimulated and that threat may be something that we know nothing about. So it may be a thought that's popped into your child or young person's head. It may be that something that's happened in itself is not a problem, but it's triggered a memory of something that happened in the past. And that's then sparked this fight flight response. So as you know, I'm sure you know this, the fight-flight response goes back to caveman days when 
you know, we were sort of um, having to protect ourselves from tigers, dinosaurs, whatever. And we would either need to prepare our body to fight that tiger or we would need to flee, run away from it. And so our body prepares itself in such a way. And it does that today, even though our perceived threats are very different, our body still has that response. So adrenaline is released to prepare us to either fight or flight. But that means we get these particular effects on the body. Different for everybody, but common things are sort of a churning in the stomach. So children might say they have a stomachache or butterflies, tight chest, difficulty breathing, rapid breathing rapid heartbeat, feeling very hot, feeling very sweaty. We might clench our muscles. We can get shaky with the with the adrenaline that's rushing around in our bodies, can, can make us shake and have a tremor. Sometimes we feel dizzy. Often you get an urge to go to the loo. And also we have a physical urge to go towards whatever is making us angry or sometimes to run away from it. But what we often see in our children is them going towards the the perceived threat or, or the thing that they think is making them angry. So what sort of things make us angry? So the way that we interpret things, threats or what's been said or feeling that we've been unfairly treated or disrespected, the way we interpret that can depend on, first of all, our childhood and upbringing. And that it may be that we or we've dealt, we've shown this to our children. It may be that they've seen that either it's okay to act out anger so they may have witnessed that and seen that from other people and have learned from that actually it's okay it's okay to to hit it's okay to shout it's okay to stomp around because that's what adults do it may be that nobody's ever helped us or our children learn to manage angry feelings And I I personally think that's really important. I read a brilliant quote once and I've not been able to find it since. But the essence of it was we shouldn't tell our children not to be angry. We should show them how to be. And I know definitely with my children, I didn't do this job then, but I definitely would say don't do that. Don't behave in that way. But I didn't recognise that actually they had those angry feelings and it was okay to be angry. It wasn't what they were feeling I didn't like. It was what they were doing with that anger. So, you know, a way that our children might be continuing to behave like this is because they actually haven't learned to manage a different way of expressing and managing those angry feelings. They may have been punished in the past for expressing anger. And as I say, they may have witnessed other adults or or indeed their parents and the way they behave with anger. Past experiences can also affect what makes us angry. So as I say, it might not be the event that's happening now, but it may be that something in the past has triggered similar feelings now. And of course, current circumstances. So just in the way that we may find we're a bit more short tempered when we've got a lot of other stuff going on or we're tired, we're not feeling well. So it's the same for our children and young people. They might be dealing with a lot of 
other stuff and are not able to then coat kind of the straw that breaks the um, camel's back, really. If we think about now the assault cycle, or it's known as the anger cycle, and what happens at those various stages. So you can see at the bottom there's the trigger phase. So in the trigger phase, that's when this threat is perceived. And as I say, it could be real and obvious as to what it is, or it could it might not be, might not be obvious and it might not be a real threat, but to the person experiencing it is. So that's the phase when when the triggering event happens. Then we go next into the escalation phase and this escalation phase, as I say, some parents say it goes from naught to 100. There's there's no warning. Other parents tell me, yeah, I, I know when something's going to happen. So this is when your body is preparing you to fight or flight. So you're going to get those physical symptoms and you may notice some warning signs in your children. So it could be that they start drumming their fingers, that they start maybe to throw stuff around. One mum said to me the other day that she knows it's about to happen because her child starts to make sort of peculiar noises. So it's worth observing and seeing if you can recognise some of those warning signs, of, of, you know, of what's about to happen. Once you hit the crisis phase, the top of the peak, this is when the body takes the action. So this is when you go into fight or flight mode. It says on the slide, your thinking brain goes offline. So in very, very simple terms, our brain has got sort of two parts. So we, we talk about it as flipping your lid. So you've got the reptilian or inferior part of your brain, and that part of the brain is responsible for feelings. Um, and then you have the superior bit of the brain over the top, and that's the bit of brain that's responsible for rational thought. When you've heard the expression flipping your lid, and that is when your thinking rational brain goes offline. So when you're in that crisis phase, your thinking rational brain is offline and you're totally in your emotional brain and that's why you get the emotional behavior then so that's when you get the almost like tantrum like behavior or screaming shouting kicking out because you your your rational brain has gone offline and you're purely in your thinking brain sometimes what can be helpful is if you are able to try and get your child back into their thinking brain. So it doesn't always work because sometimes when they're at that peak, you, you can do very little. But you can sometimes try and get your child back into your, their thinking brain by asking them a question such as, can you tell me something in the room that you can see beginning with S? And just by them going, hang on, why have you asked that? It gets them back into their thinking brain and may diffuse things. It doesn't always work. So as I say, the thinking brain has gone offline. The next phase is the recovery phase. So this is when you've had your crisis 
and we'll talk in a minute about how you can help at each of those phases. But in the recovery phase, this is when the body starts to recover from the extreme stress. The adrenaline levels decrease and your thinking brain starts to come back online. So your reasoning begins to replace that primitive survival response. Um, it's, this will happen naturally after a period of time. The adrenaline starts to decrease during a period of time, over a period of time. There are things that we can do to aid that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it's really important to remember that once the recovery phase starts, particularly in the initial period, re-escalation can happen at this time. So a very common thing might be that the child appears to you to start to come calm down and you may then say something like right you need to apologize or you start to try and discuss something like you know why were you behaving like that that's unacceptable and whoosh your child's gone up again and they're back in crisis phase so it's very important to remember that and then post-crisis depression and this doesn't happen to everybody but quite often you will see that once a child has calmed down they then go below the baseline and the body regains its balance but because they've had such a level of exertion and emotion during the crisis it takes its toll on the body and the child may be very tired may even fall asleep they may be crying and this is when they may be remorseful and very feel very guilty about how they've behaved. That doesn't happen with everybody, but some people seem to experience the post-crisis depression phase. What can we do to help in these particular phases? So in the trigger phase, this is when your child, when you know that you can see that there's some trigger or, or we, you may not be able to see but if you can see that there's some trigger you respond to that event so if it's siblings and one of the children is teasing the child and you can see that that's a trigger you know from experience that that's likely to cause them to go up then you respond to that by for example removing the child who's teasing if possible eliminate the trigger now, that's not always possible because sometimes the trigger will be that you have told your child they can't do something, they can't have something, and you're obviously not going to, to change your mind just because you don't want them to go up. So it's not always possible to eliminate the trigger. But if you can, then do eliminate it. Next, we move on to the escalation phase. And you can see that the stay calm now across the whole graph. And that is so, so important for children that you, that you manage to stay calm. Our natural response is to follow the curve of that graph and to go up with our child or young person. That will only escalate things further. So it's really important that we manage to stay calm. So talk calmly and in a non-judgmental manner. And that, again, is really important because using a judgmental manner is likely to escalate further or re-trigger if you bring that in later. While this is happening, this assault cycle or anger cycle, while that's happening, 
that's not the time to have the conversation about the rights or wrongs. That will come later. Explore a solution to the problem if possible. So it may be while the child is escalating, they haven't reached the peak yet. It may be that it is possible to kind of problem solve with them about what what could happen, what could be changed to prevent things escalating. If you're able to, use some relaxation techniques at this point, again, to try and prevent them reaching crisis point. So counting backwards from 10, breathing techniques, for example. If you're able to use that and get in before the child's reached the crisis, then you may have a chance of bringing things down. You may want to remove the child or the young person from the setting. Depending what is, is happening, what is going on, what the situation is. If the situation that you're in is causing additional pressure, then it may be helpful to, to remove the person from the setting or to remove others from the setting so that those additional stressors are removed. In the crisis phase, that's really about letting the child go through that with, with minimal intervention, because at this stage, once they've reached crisis stage, there's actually very little that can be done. So make sure the child is safe and others are safe. If you've got a child that's throwing stuff around, you, you may want to remove other children or people from that situation to avoid them getting hurt. You need to ensure that the child that's having the anger outburst is safe so you may need to stay in the vicinity to, to make sure that they are okay. Prevent further escalation and that's really important. So as I said before, it this is a time when you're you can re-trigger, you can make the escalation higher by Shouting yourself, um, getting into an argument about what's right or what's wrong by um, telling the child or young person that they need to calm down, that they need to apologise, that they need to behave in a different way. Now is not the time for that. Those conversations can come later. As we've said, try to reduce the level of anger by speaking in a calm voice. Respect their personal space. So some children might want to be held at this point, and we'll talk about that later. But other children do not want you anywhere near them in their physical space. So if that's the case, respect their personal space. But reassure that you're going to work to resolve the problem. Because remember, you're not upset or don't believe that your child has a right to feel as they're feeling you just don't like the way they're behaving but if there is a problem there of course you're going to want to help resolve that problem but at this time it's it's not about long discussions it's about keeping your sentences very short and simple now is not the time they won't be able to process too much conversation and that can re-trigger and re-escalate and then repeat those steps as required until the the crisis is over in the recovery phase you again need to maintain that supportive environment and that supportive environment is 
different for different children. And again, we'll talk later about perhaps how you can work with your child to work out what does help them best at that point. Again, this is not the time to talk to your child about um, whose fault it was or to impose a consequence. Now is not the time to discuss that with them because they will be re-triggered. In the post-crisis phase, once they're right down and they're either back at baseline or they may be below baseline, at a time that you feel it is appropriate, discuss the incident and work out what could happen in the future if a similar thing occurred. So, you know, the conversation would be something along the lines of, you know, I, I could see that such and such made you really angry. And, you know, I understand that. But I can't let you lash out at your brother. But I understand you need to get those angry feelings out. So what could we do? How can I help you in future? to let me know or to get there, but ensure that this discussion is not about blaming, but about problem solving and moving forward. Okay, so we've kind of discussed what is anger and, and why some people may feel more angry in certain situations than others. And now we're gonna have a look at managing anger. The first bit is done from the perspective if you are the teenager, for example, watching this. But it may also be helpful for us to be aware of our own anger and how we might be able to manage things better, which in turn will definitely help our children. So the first step in managing anger is looking out for warning signs. So that's, so as I say, we're doing this from the perspective of ourselves or it may be teenagers watching. So think about things that you may notice in yourself that you know are the start of, of you getting very angry. So, you know, again, it might be that you notice that your heart's beating fast and you're breathing more quickly in shorter breaths. You might notice that you've got your fists clenched something like that so be aware of what your warning signs are because if you're prepared and you know what's going to happen you're more likely to be able to manage it if you notice your warning signs and you know that you're starting to get angry then buy yourself some time to think walk away from the situation or count to 10 before reacting talk to somebody, explain how you're feeling. Think about using some calming techniques. So there's lots and lots of things that you can do when you're feeling angry. There's lots of breathing techniques that you can use. And if you Google breathing techniques, there'll be lots. But when you've got all that adrenaline surging around in your body, you, you're going to breathe more quickly. If you can breathe more deeply and use some breathing techniques, then you're going to disperse that adrenaline more quickly. And also by using certain breathing techniques, for example, square breathing, which is when you imagine a square. And if you think of the left hand side of the square going up, you breathe in for the count of four. 
and then going across the top of the square you breathe you you pause your breath for the count of four going down the right hand side you breathe out for the count of four and then across the bottom you pause again for the count of four that not only regulates your breathing and helps the adrenaline disperse more quickly but it also gets you back into your thinking brain because you're having to focus and count you might use some mindfulness techniques so something that could be helpful for you is thinking of um, we call it your happy place but somewhere that you know that you feel calm so for example I love the beach so if I was thinking about that I would try and imagine everything at the beach so I would think about the sound of the waves I'd think about the smell of the salt in the air the the feel of crunchy sand under my feet so maybe think about having a place that you go to to try and help you calm down Exercise can be great when we're starting to escalate with anger. So you might want to go outside and run around, jump on the trampoline, um, do some star jumps, anything to, again, disperse that adrenaline from your body. If you're not going to go outside and get exercise, then, you know, relieve some of that energy safely. So tearing up a newspaper or cardboard can be very helpful and calming. You can smash ice cubes in a sink. Anything that you can do that gets out those angry feelings but isn't harmful to other people. Think about using some distraction at this point. So it might be that you'll put on some music. You might, if, if you enjoy doing some sort of creative thing, it might be that you go and do that that you know will help to calm you and distract you. Learn your triggers. So if you know that certain situations um, cause you to feel very angry, it might be that you can think of another way of either avoiding those situations, if that's possible, or other ways that you can get round that, knowing what your triggers are. Examine your thought patterns and that's sometimes difficult to do when we're starting to feel angry but there's various ways that we think that are not helpful. Um, so what can be helpful is to think about the helicopter view of the situation or you might call it the bigger picture. So when we're in a situation that is causing us to feel very angry we, we can just focus very much on that, that event, that sort of small world. But if we can imagine zooming out, i.e. either being in a helicopter and looking from below, looking from above or zooming out in the camera, it can help us to see things more rationally and think of things like, how important is this really? Am I getting this out of proportion? What's the worst and the best thing that could happen. So if we're able to zoom out in that moment and look at the bigger picture, that can help us feel calmer. Other ways of thinking that we have that can not be very helpful are, are things known as negative automatic thoughts um, or automatic negative thoughts. 
And these are ways that we might have got into a pattern of thinking. And it can just be helpful for us to actually be aware of them and maybe challenge our thinking. So black and white thinking is when you look at something as either totally good or totally bad. So, for example, when you're in that situation, you might be thinking this is absolutely terrible. It's the end of the world, etc., etc. And if you can think, hang on a minute, am I viewing it as very black and white? Because in reality, little in life is black or white. It's very much more often sort of somewhere in the middle, isn't it? And grey areas. Catastrophizing is similar. That is making a mountain out of a molehill. And your mind creates a narrative that grows bigger by the moment. So that would be, for example... You haven't been invited to a party um, and that in itself is um, making you upset and angry and then you start catastrophizing. So you've not been invited to that party. That means nobody likes you. Nobody's going to speak to you again. You're never going to go to a party again. You haven't got any friends and your mind then goes off and creates a narrative that actually isn't factual. So again, it's about hang on, am I catastrophizing, challenging those thoughts? Fortune telling. Imagining that you can see into the future that you know what's going to happen. And I know I'm quite good at that. So you might think um, somebody... Uh, you, you, th you think you know how somebody's going to react in a situation and that then may make you angry. Actually, we don't know. And often things don't turn out to be the way that we imagined that they would. And kind of a similar one to that is mind reading. When we think we know what other people are thinking. So it might be that you walk past a group of friends and somebody bursts out laughing and you think, I know what they're doing, they're laughing at me. Somebody's just said something about me. So you think you know what the other person is thinking. And actually we don't know and we might be completely wrong. So be aware of whether that's what you're doing. Negative filtering. This is when we just focus on information that fits with our existing beliefs. So we might think about a situation where that's made us very angry. So if we think back to the thinking that um, your friends are laughing at you, you only focus on information that adds to your belief. So one of those people might smile at you as you go past and wave which might confirm that actually they're feeling friendly and it was nothing the laughing was nothing to do with you but negative filtering means you discount those positive messages and you focus just on the negative so you would discount the fact that actually the evidence suggests because somebody smiled and waved at you that actually you know everything is fine and you would just focus on perhaps another person's scowling face and think that that's because they don't like you so negative filtering labeling um and this is when we think it's a bit like black and white thinking that we think that a label is the whole story so if we thought that the whole if we think that 
somebody's uncaring then we may feel that the whole world is uncaring and that makes you feel that you need to be uncaring as well again you know that's not not the whole story by any means so there may be some uncaring people but there's lots and lots of caring people so labels don't look at the whole story and finally personalizing is is another negative automatic thought that can be unhelpful when we think things are our fault all the time so we interpret an event as our responsibility so you may be with a group of friends and then later on you see one of them crying in the corner and you immediately think oh I must have said something or it's something that I've done that's upset them personalizing again it isn't helpful to us because then that can make us feel bad about ourselves may make us feel angry about ourselves and the situation and we're not likely then to be able to cope in a good way so what else can help with managing our anger developing communication skills when we're angry, often people don't listen to what we're saying, because if we're angry and we're shouting and we're stomping around, people kind of often shut down and they just think, oh, they're just they're just being angry. They're behaving in an unwanted way and they may not listen to what you're saying. If we're able to express our anger in a more assertive, respectful way, we're more likely to be able to be understood and people are more likely to listen to us. So think about the outcome that you want to achieve and think about how you can explain the outcome that you want to achieve in an assertive, respectful way without resorting to anger and shouting and insults. Something that can be quite useful is we call them I statements. So I statements are talking about how you feel about something without blaming the other person. Because when we blame people, they automatically get defensive and we're less likely to achieve the outcome that we want. So if I'm thinking about it from a parent's point of view, for example, and say I've come home from work and my teenagers have been at home and the kitchen's an absolute mess um, and you know I've got to clear it all up before I start cooking supper I might want to instinctively come in and say something like you make me really angry by leaving your stuff all around the kitchen it you know now I've got to start tidying it up before I can cook supper and so supper's going to be late you're so lazy and you don't do anything what sort of response am I likely to get? I'm not likely to get a positive response because I have blamed them. I have said, you make me angry, you're lazy. Whereas in truth, I have chosen to react in an angry way. So if we take responsibility for it, so I might change it around and say something like, I feel really angry or upset when I come home from work and there's stuff all over the kitchen what I would like is to come home and find the kitchen in a tidy state so that I can get on and cook supper as soon as possible so in that statement 
I've said that I feel angry, but I haven't said that anybody makes me feel angry. I've said that I feel angry and I've told them why I feel angry and I've told them what I'd like to happen, but without saying blaming or insulting. So those are I statements. They do take a bit of practice, but they can be really useful. With your communication skills, make sure you listen to the other person's response. Sometimes when we're angry, we don't, but it may be actually that they are trying to help us and they are responding in an appropriate way. So listen to the other person's response. And if you feel yourself getting angry again, then take a break. And as we said before, buy yourself some time to think. Take yourself off somewhere, do some calming work um, and before you go back into the situation. If you're finding you're getting very angry very often, then maybe look at your lifestyle and things that could be affecting it. Drugs, alcohol, all things that can fuel anger, but also just generally not help who we are and how we feel. Exercise. Are you getting enough exercise? Exercise is really important for our mental health and managing managing our mental health. So make sure that you're getting regular exercise, regular adequate amount of sleep, really, really important. And look at your diet. Are you eating and drinking sensibly and healthily most of the time? And maybe think about getting some professional help. Um, if you're trying these things and you're finding that anger is still quite a problem and is impacting you and your life hugely, then maybe think about getting some professional help. And there's lots of charities out there um, that can help um, either. And there's all, all sorts of ways as well of achieving that help. So it could be face to face, but there's online stuff as well. So consider getting some professional help. Now we're going to look at it from the perspective of if you are the parent of a teen or young person, how you might be able to help them. So let the young person know that you're there to listen to them whenever they're ready to talk. So we've already looked at the assault cycle and we know that at the crisis phase, and in the in the recovery phase, that is not going to be the time that you're you're going to talk to your teenager. But the important thing for them to know is that you you are there and you're willing and, and ready to talk whenever they are. Acknowledge how hard things are for them. Validating feelings can go a long, long way in kind of de-escalating things. So Acknowledging how hard things are for them would be, for example, saying, I can see that you feel really angry about that and it's horrible when you feel like that. That doesn't mean that you're saying it's OK. Um, their behaviour, for example, if they're hitting or being rude or shouting, you're not saying it's OK for that. But if you think yourself about maybe when you feel angry or you feel upset and if people kind of either ignore it or 
say to you I don't know why you're feeling like that you don't need to feel like that it, it kind of it doesn't help does it because you feel like they don't get it they don't understand me whereas if we can use empathy and acknowledge how somebody's feeling it goes a long way to kind of bringing things down because I think there's a sense of they get it you know they understand how I'm feeling don't mirror the anger that's really important the temptation is to mirror but don't mirror the anger keep calm use a neutral voice and open body language so communication the words that we use actually are a very very small percentage of communication so if you say um i'm i'm here for you but you're saying it in an angry voice with your um, scowl on your face and your arms crossed. The I'm here for you or how can I help won't be heard. It will be they'll be observing your um, body language and facial expressions and will read anger or, up, you know, upset in that. So use a neutral voice and open body language. Work out together what might be causing these feelings and help them to recognise their patterns. So that's going back to the previous section is discussing with them what their triggers might be and how they respond and therefore how they can recognise what might be happening and recognise past behaviours. And then you can discuss about how you might be able to change that or they might be able to change that for the future. Be consistent and stick to the usual rules. And again, that's really important. And I think often the temptation when our children are really angry is either to, to come down quite hard on them or the opposite and think, I don't want to make things worse, so I'm going to give in. But when people are angry, they they can be frightened by how out of control they feel so it may cause a lot of anger in us but actually they're not feeling good either it's a very frightening out of control feeling and so they need us to provide that stability and they need to know that we are able to put that control in and keep them safe so it's really important to behave as you normally would do and stick to the usual rules and then help them work out ways to manage their anger so it might be that you need to suggest some ways to them so you might do a bit of research on breathing techniques and say let's practice them together you might suggest a physical activity either every day or at certain points when you recognize they're getting angry let's do this together so help them work out helpful ways to manage their anger rather than always responding in a kind of negative, un unhelpful, harmful way. And this is a really important one. Look after yourself. You really do need to look after yourself. Living with teenagers can be tricky anyway, as well as lovely at times, but it certainly can be tricky. And particularly if you have a teen that is frequently getting angry, it's really, really hard. So make sure you are looking after yourself. OK, now we're going to look at managing anger in primary school children. And in essence, to be honest, it's not very different, but there may be some 
particular things that are, are helpful for younger children. So in the same way as we've already talked about, learn their triggers. Avoid if you can, not always possible, but but have a, you know, learn what is going to trigger them and see if things can be adjusted. Look out for the warning signs just as before. So if you know that, you know, your child starts to make a certain noise or taps their feet or, you know, pulls their hair, those are the warning signs that cue you in to see if you can de-escalate at that stage before it, um, get, before it escalates further. And ways that you can help your child de-escalate is helping your child in the same way that we've just talked about with teenagers, helping your child develop some calming techniques. So in essence, having a toolbox for them. So instead of hitting out, lashing out, screaming and shouting as they always do, it's okay to feel angry, but let's find different ways that will help you express that anger. And as I say, they're not so different to um, other to, to the teenagers and how we've already discussed. So time in or time out to calm down. I, I, don't, I think things have changed. I don't know if you ever used to watch Super Nanny, but it always used to be about time out, that putting your child in time out. Well, and it was also talked about as the naughty step where the child needed to, to go and think about what they'd done and then apologise. And I think things have moved on from there now. And we realise that children aren't born knowing how to behave and how to manage these very big, powerful emotions that they have. And our job is to help them learn how to manage that and not punish them for for learning, really. So, as we said previously, it's about finding what works for your child. So for some children, time out to calm down may work very well. But it isn't a punishment. It is about them going somewhere where they've got the time and the space to just calm down quietly. And some children find that that very helpful so we might refer to as a safe space so you might identify somewhere in the house that when they're feeling these big emotions they can go to and that's their safe space where they can calm down and it may be that in their safe space they have some things that will help them calm down and we'll use we'll go on to talk about that in a minute about what some of those things might be but equally, for some children, actually time in is what they need. And time in is when you sit alongside your child and help them regulate. So if you think that when your children are feeling very, very angry, they've got some really big, powerful emotions. And as we said, it's it's not a nice feeling at all from, for them. And to then separate your child at that time from everybody may just add to their distress. Some children won't need that separation, but others, it may distress them further. So it's about kind of working out with your child what would help. And it may be that you actually sit alongside them. You might hold them in a tight hug. Some children need a tight hug to help them calm down. Or you might just sit alongside them, perhaps with a hand on their back, and you might do some breathing exercises together. But you are helping them 
regulate how they're feeling. You might want to think about using all of their senses or even making a sensory box that they can use for those times when they're feeling very angry. So when you if you use a safe space, it could be that in that safe space, you'll have some of these things in a box that they can use. And again, it's what will help your child and it's not going to be the same for everybody. But if your children do tend to sort of throw things and want to rip things and there's that very kind of physical urge to do something, put a whole load of old newspaper cardboard in a box and then they can do that. It might be that a child has a particular texture comforter that helps them. So either make sure that something of a similar texture is in the sensory box or that actual thing. So, you know, often it's cuddly, cuddly toys or particular textures of blankets, um, dressing gown, your dressing gown cord or something um not cord but you know your dressing gown belt that sort of feeling something that they might like to rub or sniff so again there might be a particular smell that they like it could be something of yours that that helps calm them down so a t-shirt you were wearing something like that think about all their senses and what would help them calm down and make sure those things are available to them think about breathing techniques so we've talked about breathing techniques and there's a lot of information online, but think about what might help your child and practice it with your child when they're calm. Because when they're in those heightened emotions, they need to have it at their fingertips. So you need to practice those breathing techniques when they're calm over and over again. So when they get angry, they, they've got it there. They know what they're doing. Exercise, as we've discussed previously, very important. Visualisation, um, again, as I talked previously about thinking about a happy place, somewhere perhaps that they've been, they like going to, um, that they can kind of go to in their head to help them calm. Various other relaxation things. So touch can be good for some children, massage. Um, there's a website called relaxkids.com where you can get lots of resources, CDs where they can listen to calming music or kind of guided visualisation. You know, imagine you're on a boat floating down a river, um, all sorts of things. It's finding what your child might like and what helps them. And as we've discussed, think about what you are modelling in terms of anger. Uh, in one of the courses that we run called the Nurturing Programme, we, we do a, um, an exercise when we, we start talking about anger and we say to parents, um, what you know what when you get angry how do you behave and obviously we get things like oh I shout you know I stamp around I throw things I slam doors somebody said was well, I hit walls um, and we go yeah you know yes yeah that's how you know often we do show our anger isn't it and then we talk about other things and then we say so you know what how would we like our children to behave when they get angry and parents say, well, we'd like them to take themselves off. We'd like them to 
you know, find a space to calm down. We'd like them to talk to us. And then we put the two things, we, we've written it all up on flip charts and we put the flip charts side by side and we say, so when you get angry, you shout, you slam doors, you um, stomp around. And when your children get angry, you'd like them to take a deep breath, go somewhere quiet and talk to you. And it's always kind of a bit of a light bulb moment when parents say, oh, OK. And I absolutely know that I did the same when my children were young. So it's worth thinking about what and how we are modelling anger. And it just can be really helpful if we manage to model it a more appropriately so and say it out loud tell your child what you're doing so you can say i'm feeling myself getting really angry now i'm going to you know go outside and take a few deep breaths and have a walk around the garden or or you know i'm going to go and put some music on because i know that that always helps me feel calmer and when i've calmed down i'll come back and we can talk about what happened Okay, just I think this final slide just maybe something that could be helpful for your children, your younger children, that you can work with them on. So things that they might find, and obviously these are just some suggestions, um, but hopefully, you know, there'll be others for you. But if they can identify what would help them and you can put those in the boxes, then you can direct that to them when they start to get angry. Um, so those are things for younger children, although obviously some of them can be applicable to all of us. And then we've just got some slides here for teenagers saying some of the things that they do. I hope you found some of that helpful. Um, I'm sure a lot of it is revisiting what you know already. Um, but I, I hope some of it's been helpful and it's giving you some food for thought and maybe some strategies that you're going to give a go to and um, have a try. Uh, don't hesitate to get in touch with the family support team at Embrace at El Colette and the details are on the final slide. Um, so don't hesitate to get in touch. And we've got other programs out on anxiety and understanding your child's behaviour, which is um, for sort of five to 12 year olds. That's a podcast and the anxiety is available as a podcast and a video. Have a look. Hope it's been helpful. Look after yourselves and stay safe. Bye bye.